Bowl, okay? Now, if you disagree with me, I would say Exhibit A is a name, Harvey Updike. Does that name ring a bell to any of you? Okay, some of you may recognize that name. Harvey Updike was, he died recently, rest in peace, but uh, he was this crazed University of Alabama fan who was angry, angry in 2010 when Auburn beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. And it was, it's already, I mean, again, just this fierce hatred for the other side. It was already bad enough that Auburn won in such an uh, incredible way by one point, I believe. Right, Hudson? Is that right? And, um, but that these Auburn fans would desecrate the great uh, statue of uh, Bear Bryant by putting the Cam Newton jersey on his statue. And Harvey Updike, this, this crazy Alabama fan, could not take it and decided he was going to repay Auburn for this great blasphemous action and, and their win by poisoning the historic oak trees at the corner, at Tumor's Corner. These historic oak trees, some of you are Auburn fans, you know that any time that Auburn won a game, these trees were, were rolled with, with a toilet paper, and these, you know, over 100 years old. And he ends up poisoning these trees and then had the audacity to call into a sports show a couple months after that and brag about it and tell what he had done, even though he used a fake name. Well, anyway, go figure, he gets caught, you know. He gets put in prison. He was supposed to pay $800,000 of restitution. We ended up dying in prison from heart disease or something like that. I don't remember exactly. You know... Imagine, and, and they've, Auburn eventually had to take those trees out. I mean, those trees were, were done. They were poison. Matter of fact, I saw them. You could see the leaves on these trees, these historic trees, were brown. I mean, these trees were clearly dead. Imagine that the um, Auburn University workers were to go to those trees, knowing that they were poison, seeing the, all the dead brown leaves on those trees, and decided, we know what to do. We know how to fix this problem. Let's just pick off all the dead leaves. And then the trees will be fine, right? I mean, that sounds stupid, sounds silly. They, they, they couldn't do that because the poison had already gone down into the soil, into the roots, and the trees were gone. They tried to save them, but they couldn't. They had to take them out. And that does sound a little silly, but I think that sometimes we sort of look at our own sinful patterns, our own sin, much like that. If we can just sort of pluck off those dead leaves in our lives those sinful behaviors, if we just sort of pull off those leaves, then everything is going to be okay. Okay? So last week we were looking at taming the tongue. Last week we talked about how none of us can tame our tongue in our own power, but our tongues can actually be tamed by the power of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. Okay? So I hope that this past week has been better by the grace of God, that you've been thinking about your tongue and the gossip and slander and and pride, and, and cursing other people, and things like that, and we want you to, all of us want to change our behavior, we want to fight against letting our tongue just go wild and hurt people, right? We want to teach our children that, to think about what God's Word says about how we use our tongue. But there is a danger in thinking that if I can just not use those words, then I'm going to be okay. If I can just pluck that dead leaf of that gossip, then I'll be okay. And it's dangerous, parents, for us to teach our kids, just don't say those words without missing something. And what Jesus says is there's a bigger problem. The problem is your heart. What Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, what comes out of the mouth 
proceeds from the what? The heart. What comes from the mouth proceeds from the heart. And so what Jesus says is that, yes, your tongue is a restless evil. It's wild. It's out of control. You can't tame it. But there's a bigger problem, and that is your heart. There is poison deep, deep in the roots of your heart that is making you spew out such evil. And if you don't deal with the heart, then you will never, ever, by God's grace, have your tongue tamed. I mean, think about it. Have you ever said something? Of course you have. Where you said something, you blurted out a comment, and you said, where did that come from? I'll tell you, Jesus says it comes from the heart. We've got to deal with our heart, right? Your tongue, like many other things, is that check engine light in your car that's warning you that something wrong under the hood, that there's something bigger going on. Imagine you were to go, to go on a road trip, and the check engine light was to come on. You were to go to uh, Discount Auto Parts or AutoZone or whatever and say, you know, I, I need you to check that light. I need you to tell me what the codes are. And you go in, and they check the codes, and they say, something's seriously wrong. You need to take this to the dealer. You need to take it and get it fixed right now. And you say, you know what? I got a better idea. Why don't you just turn that check engine light off for me? And I'm good. And we get back on the road, and you think, that was a close one. <laughs> the problem is, that's what some of us are doing. Let's just turn that check engine light off with our mouth, and we're ignoring the deeper, bigger problem that's in our heart. And I think that's what James is getting at in this next passage. And he's talking about that, that, that bigger problem in our heart, that poison, that deep poison, the roots of our heart. And he focuses on two things here I want us to really look at. Envy and pride. The poison of envy and pride that are in the deep roots of your heart that must be dealt with if there's going to be any behavioral change. Let's go ahead and jump in to James chapter 3, looking at verses 13 through 18, James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, that's what we're focusing on this morning, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His grace this morning. Father, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word abides forever. We also know that your word says that um, your grace is sufficient for us. In our weakness, your power is made perfect. So, Lord Jesus, would you humble me this morning as your mouthpiece to be able to proclaim this insidious, poisonous evil of envy and pride that is in the deep roots of our heart, Lord, that we may see it, that we may repent of it, that we may seek your forgiveness and run to you, Lord Jesus, you, our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so two things. One, we really want to focus first on the wisdom from below. I'm going to spend most of my time on that because, again, I want us to understand of those roots, those poisonous roots down in the deep of our hearts. We'll look at the wisdom that's from below, and I'm calling this a faux wisdom. It's a fake wisdom. 
But James calls it wisdom. It's a, it's a worldly wisdom. He says it's demonic. It's of the earth. It's different from the wisdom from above. So we want to focus today on this wisdom from below. But obviously we want to go to Jesus. So we want to see the wisdom from above. So let's look at this wisdom from below. Verses 14 and 16 of chapter 3. And the two things that we want to look at this morning, as I've already said, envy and pride. Okay? He says this, if you look in the scriptures, he lays it out for us. And verses uh, 14 says, but if you have bitter, now depending on what translation you're using, ESV says jealousy. But if you have bitter jealousy, NIV and other things say envy. If you have bitter jealousy and envy in your hearts and selfish ambition. Let's look at this, I'm going to say envy. The Greek there is envy. What is envy? Bitter envy. Well, Socrates called envy the ulcer of the soul. Thomas Aquinas called envy sorrow for another good, another's good, someone else's good. Frederick Buechner defines envy as the consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. Dorothy Sayers called envy the sin which hates to see other people happy. Envy is feeling bitter when others have it better. Right? When you covet someone's stuff, you may just want their stuff, but when you're envious, you hate the person because they have something that you don't have, and you not only want that person's thing, you don't want them to have it. That's what's at the deep, poisonous root of our hate for others in envy. At its core, envy is highly competitive. It has this sort of inflated sense of entitlement. You can see how pride flows into this. I want this. I deserve that. Give it to me now. The envious person thinks that these pleasures of life are material possessions, natural endowments, brains, beauty, opportunity. Everyone should have equal distribution of those. So the primary question of the envious person is, why does she have it and I don't? What about me? Why not me? The heart of the envious person is the complaint of Jan Brady, bemoaning her older sister Marcia and the Brady Bunch. All day long at school, I hear how Marcia is at this and how wonderful Marcia did that. Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. Maybe this is what James is going to be talking about in James chapter 4 when Pastor Ben breaks it down for us in verse 2. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's about to get into all the disputes and all the fighting and infighting in the church. And envy is a big reason why we fight, why we quarrel, why we hate. Now you may be saying, that sounds really dangerous. That sounds very poisonous, and you're right. But how do I know if envy is in my heart? Well, again, check engine lights on. You've got to figure out what's going on. You've got to ask some diagnostic questions, right? How are you going to treat this problem? You've got to find out, am I an envious person? Let me just throw some diagnostic questions out there for you. These are always fun. Do you find yourself... Excuse me. Do you find yourself criticizing people 
who are more educated, wealthier, or more physically attractive than yourself? Do you ever measure your education, your income, your house, your car, in the balance with those of your siblings, neighbors, or church friends, and then harbor secret resentment towards them when you find that your own life is wanting? When it comes to the success and the fruitfulness of others, are you their biggest fan or their biggest critic? If you could answer yes to any of those questions, there's so many more I could lay out. You may be struggling with this sin of envy. We all do, right? If we're honest with us, this envy within our hearts. Well, the second thing he talks about, the other poison in our hearts that James lays out is this idea of selfish ambition. And I think when we hear the word ambition, sometimes, you know, it's obviously not being used in a positive way here, so it's a little bit confusing because I think to an extent, you know, we all want to be ambitious. We all want to have goals. We all want to strive towards particular achievements and goals. We want to encourage our kids to be ambitious in school and things like that. But James lays this out and he says this is selfish ambition. And it's one thing to have an earnest desire for some sort of achievement or goal. It's another thing to have that selfish desire meaning an inordinate desire. You could have a desire for some sort of achievement, but when that thing consumes you and it becomes that idol, which I think y'all are going to look at next week, that you're willing to go for it no matter if you've got to go over someone else's body to go get it. That's what James is warning you about. Selfish ambition. When I'm going to get it and I'm going to strive towards it whether other people suffer or not. That is poison. Beware of selfish ambition. The way that the scripture uses that, that word in the Greek shows us that it is a device, divisive willingness to split the group in order to achieve personal power and prestige. A divisive action that you're willing to split a church over as long as I get what I'm going after. And that is poison. And again, James goes right to that in this next chapter, as Pastor Ben's going to teach you next week. What does James say in this passage in verse 16? He says, this worldly wisdom, this wisdom from below, it produces disorder. It produces divisiveness. It produces a disjoining of the body of Christ. Just like I talked about last week, when you break your arm, it's out of joint, it's out of place. Ambitions can be good, but when you are consumed with your ambitions and you're worshiping your ambitions, that can produce a disorder in the body of Christ that needs to be put back into health. James will go on to say next chapter, what, quarrel, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's this selfish ambition. Then James goes on in verse 16, he says, do not boast. Okay, we want to look at pride. We looked at selfish uh, envy and desire. Right, This insidious desire to, to uh, not only want other people's stuff, but not let them have what you want, that they would suffer. I'm bitter when other people seem to be better. So we looked at this envy, but now we want to really dig into pride. We want to dig into pride. He says, do not boast in verse 16. I don't know if you know the etymology of the word boast. Okay, It's this old English word that talks about proclaiming one's acceptance of a seemingly impossible challenge in order to gain tremendous glory for actually accomplishing it. Okay? 
all odds are stacked against you. And you got to work up this excitement that you can overcome those odds, and so we're going to boast. It's a military term, right? The Anglo-Saxon warriors, before they would go into battle, they would gather up the people, and they would get them all riled up. They're about to go against all odds, and they've got to get them excited and boast about how they're going to have victory. Now, we've seen this in movies, right? Braveheart. Remember that great scene, right? William Wallace on his horse, painted face front of all these Scottish farmers that have like pitchforks and stuff. And they're about to face the English army. Sons of Scotland. That's all I'm going to do. My Scottish brogue will go crazy. I am William Wallace. He says, you ready to fight? They said, fight against that? No, we're going to run. We're out of here. We don't have a choice. And so what William Wallace has to do, he has to do a boast. He has to do a military boast. He's got to get the troops excited and believe that they can go against the great odds of the English army. And William Wyeth says, I fight, and you may die. Run, and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take Freedom, right? They all go crazy. The crowd goes and they charge the English army and they win. And we get excited about it. We feel that boast that he puts before them. You can achieve this through your power against all odds. James says, don't do that. (laughs) Don't be fools. Don't go around doing this boast in church about what you're going to do to go against the odds against you by your own power. Don't do that. That's foolish. We may, it may be great for the movies. It may be great for our military history. But when you bring that in the church, and you're boasting about your own power, he says that is evil. It is demonic. Because that is exactly what the evil one, Satan himself, did to deceive Adam and Eve, saying, you got the power. You can do this. You can be like God. It's all about you. What James is doing here is he is really building on what the prophet said. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So those are the things that we want to boast in. Our might, our riches, our beauty, etc., etc., etc. This is self-promotion. James says don't promote yourself. Don't boast yourself. This self-centered action, trying to draw attention to yourself. You know, pride is one of those things that it repels us when we see it in other people. But we totally are blind to it in ourselves. Right? Some of you sitting here going, man, I'm glad they're here today. I'm glad they're listening online. And you're totally blind to the pride that's deep, evil roots in your heart. But there's another kind of pride that doesn't seem like pride, but it is pride. Not only self-promotion, but self-pity. Eeyore, right? Thanks for noticing me, right? No one really notices me. That's pride. You are boasting. Let me try to convince you from God's word. You may say, well, Brian, I don't boast in my wisdom because I'm not smart. I don't boast in my might because I'm not strong. I don't boast in my beauty because I am not attractive. 
I don't boast in my riches because I don't make a lot of money. No, that's boasting. That's pride. Listen to what John Piper has to say. He says, boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is a response of pride to suffering. Boasting says this, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I've sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of the pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of the pride in the heart of the weak. The need self-pity feels does not come from a um, the, the, the need self-pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized unworthiness, unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded, unapplauded pride. Basically, if you're struggling with self-pity, you may not feel worthy, but you want other people to recognize you. Do you see that I'm unworthy? I want you to applaud my pride. And so I'm going to be uh, self-pity. I'm going to be prideful if you don't applaud it. You see, pride can wear a different mask, whether it's self-promotion or self-pity, this subtle insecurity and self-consciousness that we feel in comparison to others. Now, once again, we've got to ask a few diagnostic questions. I'm sorry to do this. I know it's painful, but we've got to figure out if there's self-pity going on in your heart. How do I know if I struggle with self-pity? Do you ever feel uncomfortable around those more educated than you? Do you avoid participation in games or sports out of fear of looking stupid? Are you excessively shy, even unfriendly? Are you afraid of what people think about you? If that is you, you may be struggling with pride in the form of self-pity. So again... The heart is the problem. The deep roots go down into envy and pride, whether it be self-promotion or self-pity. But the good news of the gospel says that there is another wisdom, and it's the wisdom from above. And James lays this out, and I just want us to look in conclusion at this wisdom from above. Look with me in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And the meekness of wisdom. And when we hear that word meekness, we often think what? Weakness, right? That's what we often think about, and that's what the ancient Greeks thought about. But no, meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means gentleness, humility. Jesus himself said, blessed are the meek. Okay, this is a good thing. About himself, Jesus says, I am lowly, I am gentle, I am meek and humble. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. So wisdom from below is rooted in demonic, poisonous evil of envy and pride, that first sin which brought sin into the world. But the wisdom from above is from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's from the Lord. It's meek. It's gentle. The other part of Jeremiah 9, we looked at uh, the, the first part. He says, but let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And if we had time, we could break down the fruit of this, this heavenly wisdom, this wisdom from above, this meek wisdom. But you can just see 
how he describes this kind of meek wisdom. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy. It's this harvest of righteousness. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. The Sermon on the Mount coming together and saying, this is what your life is going to look like when you have a different wisdom from above. And ultimately, you've got to get a different heart. Like I said, the big problem here is your heart. Your heart is evil, and you have to have that heart transplant. Right? You have to get that old heart ripped out and a new heart put in. Jesus said that you have to be born again. Something has to radically change your life. You need a new heart. And how does that happen? How do I get a new heart, Brian? Well, the gospel says, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And then Paul goes on and says, it's not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. See that? Don't, don't get up there and boast about your works and your actions. Some days you are more aware of your sin, but there is never a day that you can stand on your own two feet of performance and say, look what I've done to save myself. Okay? The gospel is self-emptying. It empties you. It humbles you. When you begin to dig in God's word and see what God's word says about your heart, and how, how impossible it is for you to deal with it, that Jesus has to come and rip that heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh, you'll never understand why you need a Savior. You've got you to hear the bad news before you can understand the good news. For it is by grace that you're saved, by faith. Faith is just trusting in the Lord. Some of you here right now are trying to change your life on your own power. And you're trying to build up, you're like William Wallace, you're trying to build up this boast within yourself or your family, like, I can do it. I can do it. But Jesus says, no, I've already done it for you. Right? Jesus doesn't gather his church up and says, all right, church, you ready to, to, to go achieve your salvation and overcome sin? And he, and he doesn't tell the church to come in. He says, no, you stay here. I'm going to go on your behalf. And how does Jesus win the victory? He lays down his own life. He doesn't just defeat the enemy and, and say, look what I did. He's laid down his own life in order ultimately to be raised again, to have ultimate victory over our evil hearts. Jesus has to be our substitute. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, and he hits on these very two words of selfish ambition and, and, and envy this is what Paul says. Listen to what he says. Philippians 2, verse 3. He says, church, do nothing from selfish ambition. There's that word again. Or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. You see that? Pride is all about me. My interests. No, Paul says, no, no, no. You've got to get away from yourself and look to the interests of others. And then he tells us how we do this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, this is Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
See, Jesus came, God himself came down in the flesh and emptied himself and became humble and gave up his life so that you can stop boasting in yourself and exchange that selfish ambition boasting to boasting in, in himself and to boasting in what Jesus has done for you. That's what the word says. First, First Corinthians 1 says, Brothers, consider your callings. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble. He says, no, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And then he finishes that passage and says this, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if you want to boast, you've got to exchange that selfish ambition boast that says, I can do it, look at me, and boast in what the Lord has done for you. That's the only way you're going to be able to deal with the insidious evil in your heart by God's grace through trusting in his performance, not your own. This is the beauty of the gospel. Come to Jesus. Trust in him this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you and we confess that we are prideful people, that we love ourselves so much that we want to boast about all of our actions and all of our works and all of our power, and we want, to, and we want people to get excited about us and, what, and who we are and how beautiful we are. Sometimes that's in being loud and, and proud and promoting ourselves. Sometimes it's just being shy and fearful of other people because we're so insecure. But Lord Jesus, we can't do this without your grace. Thank you that you don't tell us that we have to work and achieve our salvation. It's by grace. It's free. It's a free gift. And it's all based on your performance, Lord, Lord Jesus, not our own. So, Lord, give us your power and grace to boast in you and your work. You are our victor. And we ask these things in Christ Jesus. Amen.